0: Welcome to the Queen City Church Podcast. We're so excited that you decided to join us, and we wanted to personally welcome you. Thank you so much for listening in today. Our goal is that this message will encourage you and give you practical steps for a relationship with God that keep getting better and better. Enjoy the message. Let's get into this series that you're in. I love, 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 love that you are taking a month and going through a book of the Bible. James, like he said, it's it's a short book, but it's a, it's a, it's a valuable book powerful, uh, revelatory book that all of us really need to grab a hold of. And one of the concerns that I have, I was telling Sam this this morning before the 930, as a pastor, especially um, the younger generations coming up, my generation, millennial and younger, there seems to be a drive for experience of God, which I love, I'm all for experience and expression of the Holy Spirit, need that. But sometimes we do it at a devaluing, I think, of the word of God. That there's an issue with maybe biblical literacy really understanding the scripture and the life that is in it. So I think every once in a while, taking a month and designating it to a book of the Bible, putting a devotional together that you as a community can go through and spend time with is really, really vital and really, really important. So kudos to you guys. If you weren't here last week, let me give a quick recap of what the book of James is all about. It was written by a guy named James, who's the half brother of Jesus. And he's writing to a church, uh, not with new theology, not with a lot of new doctrine necessarily, but more practicality. He's saying this is what it looks like to actually follow after Jesus. If you want to be a follower, a disciple, one person says it this way, an apprentice to Jesus. This is what your life should look like. And he lays out a lot of practicalities. It's a kind of a combination of the Sermon on the Mount and Proverbs put together. And James writes this letter. It's one of those books that you kind of sometimes wonder, like, should this be in the Bible? Because it's really like reading my message. Like it's really getting in my business. It's kind of tough. It's kind of right there in your face. But when we push kind of through maybe the initial discomfort, we find the life that is really in it. Uh, it focuses on this idea of spiritual maturity. There's the term perfection or maturing a lot. And not that we're perfect or that we're sinless, but that we're on this journey of allowing our roots to grow down deep into Jesus and having lives that really reflect what our faith is all about. So we're in James chapter 2. James chapter 1 was last week, and talked about uh, dealing with tests and what that looks like. Great teaching. Today, we're going to go into James chapter 2, and we're going to start in verse 14. So if you have your Bible, go ahead and open up James chapter 2, beginning in verse 14. If you have it on a device, you can go ahead and light that up, or just look at the screen. Here we go. James 2.14 says this, What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but does not have works? Can such faith really save him? If a brother or sister is without clothes and lacks daily food and one of you says to them, hey, go in peace, stay warm, and be well fed, but you don't give them what the body needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith, if it doesn't have works, is dead by itself. But someone's going to say, well, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without works and I'm going to show you my faith by my works, you believe that God is one. Good. Even the demons believe and they shudder. Senseless person, are you willing to learn that faith without works is useless? Wasn't Abraham, our father, justified by works and offering Isaac, his son, on the altar? And you see that faith was active together with his works. And by works, faith was made complete. And the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. And he was called God's friend. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. In the same way, wasn't Rahab the prostitute also justified by works in receiving the messengers and sending them out by a different route? For just as the body without the spirit is dead, so also faith without works is dead. Let's take a deep breath and try to unpack this what i want to do over the next several minutes is talk to you from this subject faith that works faith that works. And uh, I, I, I do feel like Brian might have got me a little bit here in this moment. He's like, do you want to come preach at Queen City? I was like, absolutely, would love to. Hey, could you speak in the series that we're in? Yes, definitely. It's on the book of James. Is that cool? A hundred percent. Could you talk about James chapter two? Oh, you mean some of the most controversial passages in all of scripture? Got you. And he's like, I'm going to be in Indianapolis. Let me know how it goes. <laughs> so so I, I need to set this up with kind of a caveat to all of this. What I hope we can do over the next several minutes is just give you something to grab a hold of, to sit with, um, to think through, pray through, talk about in your small groups through, in your daily devotions as you're going through James, wrestle with and ask God for clarity on because there is a good chance you are going to leave emotionally dissatisfied this morning. Because there's layers to what we're about to talk about. There's tension in what we sense and what we feel. And if you're like me, you're going to tend to want to gravitate from one extreme to the other. But I think we have to find in the middle what James is actually talking about here. James is a difficult book because he all of a sudden starts to throw this out in chapter 2, faith and works. And he says things like, you're not justified by just faith, and there's got to be works, and all of a sudden, it seems as though James is in competition with books like Romans and Galatians that are all about the grace of God, and you can't do anything to earn this, and it's a free gift. And then James comes along and says, oh, it's faith and works. Martin Luther, the great reformer, even didn't like the idea of having James as part of the Bible because he felt it was too hard to reconcile these verses with a gospel of grace. So knowing all of that, I have 24 minutes and 50 seconds to go into some very complex and very uh, deep verses. And we're not going to get all the way down. But I hope, again, that we can hand it to you and you can say, okay, I can take this. I got some handles and I can navigate through it with what it is the Holy Spirit's saying to me. Uh, I think one of the, maybe uh, this applies to all of scripture that could help us gravitate uh, to the right middle, if I could say that way, of where we find the polarities and the, the complexities in scripture is if there was a doctor and we were at his office and this doctor uh, has gone through school, got his credentials, his licensing, knows the medical practice and he goes into one room to see a patient and the, uh, he evaluates the patient, hears the symptoms and the prescription that he gives this patient is, hey, you need to rest more, you need to relax, you need to not do much, that's that's what you need to do in this moment and then that same doctor with the same mindset, the same knowledge, the same belief goes to the other room and sees a different patient, here's that patient's symptoms, what they're going through and his prescription to that patient is you need to do more, you need to be more active, You're, you're, you're kicking your feet up too much and in one sense you say well there's a tension in that, it's the same doctor why are there two different diagnoses We would say it's because it's two different patients. And oftentimes when we read scripture, when we we see things that seem to be in conflict with another part of the Bible, and a lot of people that maybe aren't Christians like to say, see, it contradicts itself and da-da-da-da-da, well, hold on a second, step back, remember this is written to specific people groups, specific patients, if I can say it that way. James is writing to a group of Jewish Christians that would have a tendency to gravitate towards Jewish law. It was very works-oriented. Like, hey, do this, do this, do this, do this. And that's kind of the, the typical crowd, the Jewish Christian that James would maybe be writing to and dealing with. But there's a subset specifically in this book where there's a group that's not doing that. In one sense, they seem to be taking it a little bit too easy. Like, oh, it's all about grace. I don't got to do anything. So James, as a good doctor would, is evaluating the patient and saying, this is what you need in this moment. So when we're tempted to say, well, these contradict one another, no, 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 let's step back and look at the broader context of who he's actually speaking to. And I think even now in 2019, the tension that we see and what we find here in the book of James is still applicable to us tendency, what we have to be careful, I have to be careful to do, is not to embrace the idea of legalism. I like this. Give me the list. Tell me the to-dos. What do I got to get done to make sure that God knows that I love him and it proves that I'm a Christian? Because we're very works-oriented people. We like to go ahead and, and have some kind of an action, and then there's a response So we have to fight that temptation to all of a sudden minimize our faith into just this checklist. So this is all precursor to what it is we're going to get into because this text does bring up some issues, some challenges. So as we talk about faith, that works. Let's approach it with an open heart. Let's pray one more time. Heavenly Father, we lift up the next several minutes to you. Holy Spirit, you are our teacher, our leader, our guide. Teach us, lead us, and guide us into the truth of your word. We thank you for it. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I, uh, me and my wife, been married, uh, like I said, 14 years this July, and we've owned several houses throughout the course of our marriage, and we just purchased a new home several weeks ago, and we're in the middle of the renovation, not even the middle, like the beginning stages of the renovation of the house. Now, I have a dad... Who, uh, growing up, he was kind of, could fix it all Carpenter, could do everything, work on cars And I feel like, uh, because I'm his son That there was a genetic transfusion of his knowledge into me And it usually plays out like this My wife, Stephanie, would say, man, I'd like to do this at the house And me saying, we can do that She's like, you can do that? I'm like, yeah, I can do that She's like, you know how to do that? I'm like, well, my dad knows how to do that So inherently, I must know how to do that And that's played out several times over the houses and the properties that we've owned. And it's gotten better every time as I'm learning and growing in that skill set. But I remember one piece of advice my dad gave me early on, back when I still lived at home. We were working on something and he made this statement to me. He said, Noah, always make sure you have the right tool for the job. Don't try and skimp around. Don't try and use something that wasn't meant for this specific job to get it done. It's going to cause you more frustration, more heartache. Even if that tool, the right one, costs you a little bit more, spend the extra amount. Get the right tool for the job. And now Three Houses in and doing that, I can can attest to the truth of that statement. You want the right tool. I want the right tool for the job that is set before us. Now let's talk about Oreos. Totally flipping the page over. I have a, a, a wrestle in my life with sugar. I share this with our church back home a lot. It's really not even a wrestle. It's like me constantly being submitted by sugar time and time again in my life. Um, but, you know, pray for me. I'm working through it. One of the things that I love is Oreos. Double stuff Oreos to be exacts. And, uh, and there's, this, there's this thing that uh, Nabisco tries to do, which I don't understand. And it's like, we're going to make different flavors of Oreos, like birthday cake Oreos or pumpkin pie Oreos or s'more Oreos. And I'm like, that's all heresy. Get that stuff off the shelf. Just stick with what's good. The real double-stuffed Oreos. I love double-stuffed Oreos. But there's been a time, I remember a season of my life where I said, I'm going to eliminate the sugar, but I really like Oreos. So there's these healthy versions at the healthy food store that I could get. I'm going to go for those. And they even have a, name. it's like Newman O's is the brand. So it's Oreos, but it's the healthy version. And, and shout out to the Newman brand and people that are down with that. Like, man, I got like a lot of love for you. But when I tasted a Newman-O, I was like, what godforsaken thing is this? It felt like pebbles and sand pushed together in the form of a cookie and just disintegrated in my mouth. I was like, this isn't the real thing. This isn't a real Oreo. I want to have the real experience of what an oreo is like now i say that to give us two visuals as we navigate through what this text is i think what james wants us to know is that there's a real faith we need to have the the right faith i should say it that way the right tool the right faith for the life that god's called us to because as we'll find out in a moment we can have the wrong faith and there's counterfeit faiths that are out there get the right faith for your walk with jesus so that you can have a real experience sometimes Christianity just seems like something's not connecting. Like, is this really the life God has called me to? And we miss out on the experience that God has for us, oftentimes because we might be settling for a counterfeit faith. And God might be like, that's not, what I've, that's not what I called you to. That's not what trusting me actually looks like. And James has a way in these 12 verses to kind of break it and distill it down into some tangible. So let's dig in here for just a moment. In the beginning of James chapter 2, the first half of it is about how we treat people. He says, hey, when somebody walks into your church service and they're of different economic statuses, don't treat them differently. Don't favor the rich people over the, over, over the poor people. Everybody's in this together, we're one big family. And then halfway through, he begins to switch the topic and switch the conversation to faith. And it might seem disconnected, but they're actually divinely and uniquely connected, as we'll find out towards the end here. Because the way that we behave towards people indicates what we really believe about God. You can't say that you love Jesus and believe God loves you, but then be rude and divisive and bitter towards other people. It's just not possible. We cannot separate human fellowship from divine relationship. It's all interconnected, which is why some small groups are kicking off, and it's so important to be in one of those, to have community and have relationship, because this reflects this, and this happens through this. They're both interconnected. So the first part of James chapter two, he talks about relationship. Then he switches to faith. Now we all have faith, whether you're an atheist or you're a committed believer, a follower of Jesus or somewhere in between. All of us have faith. We have a set of ethics and values and a belief system that we uh, govern our life by. But for the sake of the next couple minutes we have together, let me define uh, faith that James is talking about. It's a trust and an obedience to God. And he's making two observations. He's saying, one, what is your faith in? What is it that you're putting your trust in? What is your faith actually in? And then he drills down even further and says, now you can prove or show your faith by what you do. See, for James, action is all about allegiance. Whatever you and I do reflects what we're loyal to. However we behave reflects what we really believe. And James is saying you can't separate them. They're intimately interconnected. They have to be together. And we know faith, if you're a follower of Jesus, a Christian in here, it's a big deal. The Bible talks about we're saved by faith, that we're supposed to walk by faith. It's impossible to please God without faith. So faith is the narrative, and it's the underpinnings of Scripture from the Old Testament all the way to the New. And then James, in a few verses, breaks down three different types of faith, if I can say it that way, that we'll explore Three types of faith. And My hope would be this, that as we navigate through these and look at them, you say, God, where am I at? Maybe in certain parts of your life, certain parts of trust and faith is here, and in other areas, it's over here. But where is my faith? What's my type of faith? Because James, as we'll find out in a moment, doesn't want us to have a wasted faith that your faith, my faith, is one that's supposed to be vibrant and active. It's life-giving. It's empowering. It's one that's truly transformational and visible. So there's three types of faith. One, he starts off with this. In verse 14 through 17, it's a dead faith. He says, faith without works is dead. He begins to use this terminology. The word dead meaning idle. It's not going anywhere. It's not actually doing anything you can uh, you can tell when somebody has dead faith when they say all the right words but their actions never follow through dead faith for us and in my life looks like this i know all the right stuff i can even say all the right stuff i can even sing all the right songs i can even pray the right prayers but my faith there's nothing else to it it's all intellectual it's all maybe the right speech it's it's an it's an idle faith it's a It's a dead faith James talks about. People with dead faith substitute words for deeds. If you ever had a conversation with somebody like that, that like wants to lay out and break out, maybe it's just me as a pastor, I get the opportunity to have these conversations a lot of like somebody wants to sit down and, can I take you to coffee, pastor? Yet, yeah, please do. And um, I, I just we need to talk through these things in the scripture and they lay all these things out to me about all the things that are right or wrong and this is what we need and that's what we have to do and yet I know this person and they treat their wife horribly. They're never there for their kids. They don't have any generosity. They don't serve anyone. So to me, you have a dead faith. You talk good. You, you, you talk about it, but you aren't really about it. You know those kind of people? Don't talk about it be about it. When I when I uh, God kind of grabbed my heart and I moved from Milwaukee uh, to Tulsa, Oklahoma, I was a band kid in a hardcore scene and so all of a sudden my culture shifted. I came from, uh, we wore skinny jeans before they made skinny jeans for guys so we had to shop in the Gap Girls department years ago big gauged out years and tattoos and all of a sudden I end up in Tulsa, Oklahoma. It was like the backside of the desert, it felt like to me. I was like, God, what are you doing to me right now? But I was there and in that Bible school, the terminology, the language, even in the city was so different. Everybody was brother so-and-so. Hey brother Noah, how are you doing? Hey, sister Sally, how are you? And I'm like, what we is this? Where am I? But the longer I was down there and the more in relationship I got with these people, not everybody, but I found out, look you sound good on the outside. But your actions, your behaviors, your attitudes, it's not really setting you apart any differently. It's a dead faith. It sounds right. It sounds real. But it's counterfeit. It's not really, really true. Here's something that maybe will help some of you. Maybe you just came for this line. Well with God, well done is sometimes better than well said. That maybe you're worried you don't have all the language. I don't say all the right things. I don't know all the right verses. I don't even know how to pray. And and I'm not much of a singer, so I don't know about the words. And I can't remember any of the words, so I make them up in my car. And is that even right? I don't know. And you're worried about what you're saying. And and listen, what we say is important. The Bible has a lot to say about that. But, But before you get hung up in that, I think God might be more into action than just into what we say. Well done is better than well said. There's there's this story that Jesus lays out. He says, hey, uh, an individual, a boss goes to two people and it's a representation of Jesus and the kingdom. And he says, I go to one and I tell him, hey, go work in the field. And they say, no. But later on they go and they do it. And he goes to another one and he says, hey, go work in the field. And he says, yes, but he never does. He says, who's better? Who really has the heart of God? Who really has fulfilled the kingdom? He says, it's the one who, even though they said no, ended up going and doing it. Because sometimes well done is better than well said. See, the thing about dead faith is it convinces a person in their mind, usually via their intellect, that they're good with God, but their works don't follow their words. So my hope would be that we would be people in 2019 where we're not just so hung up on saying the right things, but we're hung up on being the right people, on doing the right stuff. Charles Spurgeon uh, had a great example and an analogy when it comes to this idea of faith and works and the tension that we have. And he said, if you took an apple orchard, you have rows of apple trees, and you went to the, the person that oversees all of that, and you began to talk about the trees, and you pointed one out. You said, that tree looks like it's alive. It looks healthy. Its roots grow down into the soil, and that's where it gets its life from. Its nourishment from is from the roots. But that tree never bears any fruit. He said, if you began to talk with that attendant over the apple orchard, what you would find out is, you know, the fruit isn't what gives the tree life. The fruit is a representation of the life that is already in the tree. The apple, the leaves, we just get to see what's going on in the inner workings. It's really the roots that are down into the tree that are bringing it life. See, that's that's the gospel of grace. That our roots are down and that Jesus did for us what we couldn't do for ourselves. That God loves us regardless. We can't work to get God's approval or God's love. Our roots are down into that. But eventually then, our lives will reflect and bear the fruit of the life that is in us. But if you go to the attendant and you say, well, it looks alive, but it never bears any fruit. And the attendant would say, yeah, we give it a year, two years, three years, four years, maybe five years But after five years, even though the tree is there, but it bears no fruit, the attendant will say, we'll cut that tree down because we will consider it dead. And here's the challenge for me, is that if I live a life that I say my roots grow down into Jesus, but I really eventually have no visible fruit, do I really have real faith? I know that like, that's like, oh, that's a bummer, Noah. Like, really? That's heavy. But that's what James is saying. He's saying, don't just have dead faith. That's inactive. That's idle. Like there should be a representation in your life of what it bears. Now, uh, let's all agree. We're not going to go around being like the faith police. All right? Like let's not go evaluate our friends and be like, dead faith. <laughs> you said that last week. Didn't do it this week. Dead faith. If your spouses, if you're married in here, like keep peace in the home. Don't Dead faith should not be in our terminology to use with one another. But James does bring this out about dead about dead faith. It's idle. It's not going anywhere. You've got to have faith and works. Next, he goes to what I'm going to call as like demonic faith. Now, give me some nuance here. What I really mean is emotional faith. So, so he's using like the demons tremble, they believe kind of a thing. So there's like this demonic faith. What he's really saying is an emotional faith, a faith that you even feel. Like he, he says, oh, wow, you believe in God. Guess what? You know who else believes in God? The demons. And not only do they believe, they feel some type of way about it. They tremble, they shake, they shudder at it. It's like, that's not even enough. So so don't get all emotional faith. The dead faith might be intellect, mentally ascend. I agree with that. Yeah, I know I should be forgiving. Yeah, I know I shouldn't hold grudges. Yes, I know I should be a generous person. Yeah, I know I should be kind. Like, I agree with those things mentally. Maybe the demonic faith or the emotional faith is not only do I agree, I even feel them. that second song today in worship, I got the goosebumps on the back of my neck. The Lord is here with me. It's good. I might even be crying. Like this is moving me. Darkness is trembling at the, and you're feeling it. You're feeling it. This is the kind of emotional faith that he's talking about. And he says, but listen, even the demons feel that type of way. So that's not, that's not even going to be enough. And here's the thing that uh, our church, that we have to be aware of at King's, that that I'm challenging and thinking through and praying through our our church and our team with, is I don't want to just be experience-driven. We call them worship experiences. I believe experience is vital. I believe the full expression, the experience of the Holy Spirit is for today, and we need that. But what I don't want to do is stop there. Because it should be an experience that leads to action. Like, I don't want to just gather us together, have great songs and moments with God, and say, that was all for me, and then leave, and then not do anything. Pastor Matt Chandler says it this way, you become spiritually constipated, right? Where it's like all about you, but I don't have to go any further with the analogy, right? Like, it's just staying there. Like, we're supposed to go in the book of Acts, they gather in the upper room, the Holy Spirit comes, what an experience they have, tongues of fire on their heads a great rushing wind like this is amazing this is like when fire festival really happened this is taking place and they're like this is awesome what's the next thing they did they didn't gather together and be like wasn't wasn't the lord so good right there the holy spirit's on me he's on you this is awesome no it's like they they got touched by god had an experience they were moved and then they went right to the streets to engage people and to tell people about the good news so james says look at dead faith intellect you agree that's not enough You can even go to demonic faith or emotional faith, be moved by God for things. That's not enough. I remember at 15 years old, I had this moment. I went to the dining room. I I think I shared this. I don't come from a ministry family, but our parents raised us in church. And I can still clearly remember it. My dad was changing something with the chandelier in the living room. And and I walk in and and he says, hey, Noah, can you hand me this this screwdriver? And I say, yeah. And I went and grab it. And and I, I, at this moment in my life, am carrying this burden. And I feel like I'm going to have a real heart-to-heart with my dad. I'm about to share something that's going on inside of my life that this is going to be one of those landmark father-son moments. Just really setting myself up for it. But he had to change in the chandelier. sees me walk in the room out of the corner of his eye and then keeps working. He says, hey, can you hand me that screwdriver? I said, yeah, dad. And I hand it to him and he's still working. And I said, dad, I need to talk to you about something. He says, "Uh, yeah. Doesn't even stop. Just keeps working. And uh, I said, Okay dad, I don't, uh, I don't know if I'm a Christian anymore. I like, I don't, I don't know if I'm following after Jesus. Dad, I don't feel like, I don't feel saved. Like I'm saying the sinner's prayer, the whole Jesus coming to my heart, forgive me of my sins at least five times a day. And I'm just not feeling, like, I'm not feeling it, dad. Like I'm lost. Help me. What do we do? And I'm thinking, like, my dad's going to stop. He's going to say, get in the truck. We're going to go have a lunch. We're going to have a long walk and deep discussion. My dad doesn't even look at me. He says this, huh, yeah, well, we don't go by feelings, Noah. (laughs) And here's the thing. I still remember that now at 37 years old because that's exactly what I needed to hear. My dad didn't even break a sweat. Didn't even make eye contact with his lost son. And he says, feelings, we don't go by feelings, Noah. And now here's what I I, want to make clear, because I believe God is into the whole you. So I think feelings are a really important thing. Some people are like, never pay attention to your feelings. Always avoid them. No, 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 no. no. I don't think that's true. I think God gave us feelings and emotions for a reason. But there are going to be times where we're going to have to choose faith over feelings. And we're not going to always feel like, I I'm not always feeling God. I'm not feeling like he's hearing me when I pray. I'm not feeling the presence of the Holy Spirit. I'm not feeling like forgiving. I'm not feeling like being generous. I'm not feeling like being loving. And in those moments, I have to realize that real faith pushes past feelings. Even the demons feel some type of way. He says, don't have that kind of faith. Then he goes into what he wants us to have, is dynamic faith. Now, before we go into dynamic faith, I want to add another disclaimer. We're not going to all go, we're, we're in agreement, right? We're not going to go around pointing out dead faith. And please, let's not talk about demon faith. Like I'm just using it because James says that. But let's, like, leave that language here. Don't go out and be like, we learned about demon faith today at Queen City. Like, that's going to go real good out there. It's emotional faith, the emotional aspect. So we're not going to go around pointing out demon faith either. Third thing, what James is trying to get us to in closing is dynamic faith he's like, listen, it's faith and works. They have to be joined. They cannot cannot exist apart. They must coexist together. Real, genuine faith is a dynamic, life-giving faith. It's a faith that touches the intellect. It moves the emotions, but it also comes out in the will. Like, you do things. You change the way you treat people. And listen, I'm not talking about perfection. I'm talking about progress. Because I'm going to fail more times than I succeed at showing love to other people and living out this faith. But it's an effort. It's, a, it's God, thank you that every day I get another opportunity. Thank you that your mercies are new this morning. Thank you for the grace and the love to reach out and help people. It's living out a dynamic faith that really brings all three, the mind, the will, and the emotions together and says, this is the real thing. This is the real experience that God has for me. For our our family, one of the values that we have as a a family is we always want to be marked by generosity. Me and my wife, and then that transcends to our church. We always wanted to have a generous church. I want to have generous kids. So one of the practices, and I'm not saying this to toot my own horn. Again, I fail more times than I might succeed. One of the things I try to do is to to, to be moved with compassion and have life-giving faith and have my kids see it is every time we're in the car and we stop at a freeway exit or a corner and there's somebody there on the corner with a sign, and we all have our own preconceived ideas about that person and their story, and I'm not here to argue any of that. What I do want to do in those moments is show my daughter our faith. So every time I try and give them something, whatever I have, I'll carry cash on me in the car just to, just to be able to roll down the window, hey, love you, believe in the best for you, take this. And I've done that year after year, time after time, so now where I drive my kids to school, or my daughter and two other kids, we carpool. I remember one day, uh, just like a, a few months ago, I was driving, and there was somebody there, and without thought, pull over, roll the window down, and I hear the kids in the back ask my daughter, what, what, what's your dad doing? And and my daughter says this, oh, uh, we, we love people, so we're marked by generosity, so we give. And in that moment, I said, okay, that's faith in action. She's getting it. She's seeing that if we really believe, because here's the thing, I was that guy in the corner. I am the guy on the corner. I'm broken oftentimes in my sin. I need the mercy and the grace of God constantly. I need the love and the encouragement and the affirmation that Jesus offers. I need the rolling down of the window of heaven if I can say it that way and God reaching out his hand and saying, I got you. I need that. So I also want to live that and be that. That's dynamic faith. Dynamic faith is you after this service texting the person that God is laying on your heart that you've had a rift for however long and saying, hey, I love you thinking about you. It's reaching out to mom or dad Say, saying, hey, can we mend the relationship? It's you showing up to work the next day and buying the cup of coffee for the boss that you can't stand. Why? Because real dynamic faith brings life and love in those moments. He goes on and he talks about Abraham and Rahab in this beautiful moment. We don't have time to get into that. But the idea is this progress over perfection that every day we get to live out dynamic faith. And a great question to ask ourselves is, is, what ways is my faith visible to others? In what ways and what I do is it visible? And even better question is, does my treatment of people directly reflect my trust in God? And the two are connected in James. James, first half of chapter two, how we treat other people and then comes in our faith. Because the scripture says that faith works by love, that real dynamic faith works by love. And Jesus says in John 13, 35, by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Our faith must move from our heads to our hearts and through our hands. That's real dynamic faith. That's the right kind of faith that we get to experience. Let me close with this thought, this quick story. Uh, A few years ago, we're getting ready to start our church in Cleveland. And Cleveland, um, I'm just going to be real honest. I'm going to talk to you like I talked to my church back home. So we kind of a family thing here and just kind of use plain language. But in in the city of Cleveland, uh, there's a lot of racial tension stuff that's gone on historically, uh, within the city, uh, even recent things in the past few years, stuff that's happened, there's just you feel it, it's there and we knew starting Kings, we wanted to make sure that one of the things is that we had a church that looked like heaven, that it represented uh, demographically, generationally economically, this beautiful church, this kind of this collection of people so uh, I'm in downtown Cleveland, picking up a friend, Uh, he's staying there, he's in town from New York and we're getting ready to go somewhere and there's a Starbucks in the hotel lobby so he's like, hey I'm going to go work on some things on like I'm gonna grab a drink so I get in line at Starbucks Lobby and it's like this time of the year so it's it's hot well it's this time of the year when it's hot so it was hot outside got tank top shorts on tattoos young white kid in downtown cleveland and in front of me are two beautiful older black women and they're just having this wonderful conversation they're laughing they're just chopping it up together and i'm like i want to be a part of that conversation i want to get work my way in there so i do i just kind of like lean in and we all start laughing and talking together and they bring me into the conversation and we're laughing and and then the barista's like it's going to be so much i'm like i got it. i'm paying for everybody like i well everybody these two i'm paying for these two and they're like, really? I'm like, I got you guys. Come on, this is awesome. And we go down and we wait for our drinks. And they're talking about how they're teachers. They're both uh, probably older, like late 50s, maybe early 60s. And, and I'm just like, hey, love what you do. Thank you for, for serving our sons, our daughters. You might not experience it right now, but years down the road, man, you're going to have such an impact on people. They'll probably come back and say, thank you. And you can tell they're having a rough day. They're like, well, thanks for saying that because them kids are crazy. And you know who's even crazier? They're parents. And you are like breaking all this down, trying to encourage them and love on them. And one of the ladies goes, what do you do? I said, uh, I was like, oh, I'm a, I'm a pastor. She goes, you a pastor? She says, I ain't never seen a pastor like you. I said, Yeah, you know, I get, get that a lot. Work in progress, you know. So I was like, yeah, she said, like, where's your church at? I said, oh, we're getting ready to start one, actually. It's on the west side of Cleveland, and I tell her where, and she's like, I'm going to come to your church. I said, yes, you are. And we have this great time. We end up, they're going back to work. They're on their lunch break, and as, as we're kind of parting ways, one of the ladies stops and walks back, and she gets real quiet. She leans in and says, um, hey, can I ask you a favor? And I said, yeah. She goes, um, what do you think about it? And she said, would you, would you pray for me? And she starts to tear up. And I said, I said yeah, what's going on? She says, uh, I got diagnosed with breast cancer and uh, next week I go in to start my treatments and I'm, I'm just, I'm really scared. I said, absolutely. So tell me your name again. And she says, my name's Linda. And I said, uh, I said, Linda, can I tell you a story? I said, my mom, who I, I love, I'm a byproduct of, of, of a praying mom, I'm here. I said, uh, two years ago, she was diagnosed with breast cancer. She's going through the same treatment or went through the same treatment. You're getting ready to go through. So Linda, she made it out. She's okay. She's got a good life. She's healthy. She's happy. And you could just, the relief, just, oh, okay. All right. I said, let's pray. She said, "Uh, right now? I said, yeah, right now. And she's like, um, okay. So she grabs her friend and I grab my buddy. I say, come over here. We're going to pray. And we're in the middle of downtown Cleveland in a cultural and a historical time where racial division is happening and yet compulsed and moved by love and empathy and real genuine faith. There's a moment where two groups of people that culture would say, you have no business crossing paths are locked with hands in the middle of a busy hotel lobby, praying for the life, the love and the healing power of God to overtake this woman's body. And in that moment, I didn't necessarily... feel it I don't even know if I even prayed all of the right things I just knew God in this moment faith says be present and be here and have a dynamic action-based faith that has works attached to what it says it believes and in that moment the kingdom of God was shown beautifully and brightly and was established in the hearts of the people that were in that circle praying because there's a faith that moves us to action again I get it wrong more times than I get it right. But let's be moved by what we say we believe to actually do something about it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the few moments that we've had. And God, our prayer would be in this moment, Lord, that you would speak to us in a way um, that would challenge us, that would, if we need convicted to be convicted, that we could walk out of here and, and have, a, have the right faith and have a real experience. God, some of us, we've been saying the right things, but we know in our hearts we're not reflecting it in the way that we love and treat other people. God, some of us even, we base our faith off of emotions if we're feeling it. And even in this moment right now, we're realizing that you're calling us, you're calling us to something better, to something deeper, to something greater past our emotions. And as we pray in this moment, if you're here this morning and you say, Noah, I'm one of those people. Like I've been far from God, or or maybe I've been living a type of faith, and I know it's not genuine. I know it's not authentic, and and I want to get my life right with God, or or include me in this prayer that you're about to pray that says, I want to connect my heart with Jesus, either for the first time, or or I want to reconnect, recommit my life to God. would love the opportunity to pray with you and pray over you collectively together, but if that's you with every head bowed and eye closed, just, just for me to know, if you're like, hey, include me in that prayer. I want that. I need help in my life. I want that genuine faith. Just slip your hand up real quick, just so I can and see it. Thank you. 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 you. Once you put your hands up, you can put them down. Thank you. Let's all pray this out loud together. Let's everybody in here just say this with every bit of faith and sincerity we can. Heavenly Father, in this moment, I give you my life. I turn from my sins, put my trust in you. Thank you for sending Jesus. I receive your forgiveness, and I receive your grace. Help me to live this life the way you designed it. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen and amen. Thank you so much for joining us today. If this message has changed your perspective on God or life, feel free to email your story to info at queencitypeople.com. We'd love to celebrate the change happening in your life. We'd also love to pray for you. If you have any prayer requests, big or small, head over to queencitypeople.com prayer and fill out the form with as much detail as you'd like. For more information about Queen City Church's service times, location, or events, visit queencitypeople.com or follow us on social media platforms at Queen City People.